seven uh, tonight, and uh, I've titled the message "Refuge in the Lord." Uh, we have at the uh, the top of the psalm uh, to the chief musician a psalm of of David, a chief musician. We don't really know who this was. Perhaps a leader of a of a choir, uh, musicians during the time of David. Uh, clearly, it's another psalm of David. David wrote half the psalms, at least. Uh, the occasion is uncertain again. Lots of times it's kind of left indefinite. I think God did that so we could make a lot of application to a lot of situations. But uh, the contents of the psalm indicate it was a time in David's life where he was being threatened, threatened by the wicked. And there are mixed voices in, in involved here. Uh, some saying he should flee for his life, and David responding that, no, his trust is in the Lord. Now, some suggest that the occasion may have been uh, the time when Absalom, uh, his son, was seeking his life. Others think it may have been when Saul was trying to kill him. One reason some lean towards the idea of Saul trying to kill him is because of the language involved here where it talks about uh, flee like a bird. Uh, this is similar to language that we find in, in uh, 1 Samuel 26, 20 in, the, in reference to uh, Saul. Uh, notice it says there, and David is speaking here, So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to, to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. But that's still very inconclusive. As far as the outline, uh, here's what we have. Uh, refuge in the Lord, and then uh, 11.1a, David's affirmation of faith. Uh, 1B through 3, voice urging David to flee. And then 4 through 7, David's response of faith. So it's pretty simple as far as what we have here. Let's get into it, verse 1. In the Lord I put my trust. There's right out the gate the affirmation of faith. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? So David begins by affirming his trust in the Lord. More literally, it reads, I take refuge in the Lord. That's a very literal translation. In the Old Testament, a description of trust, we find this often in the Old Testament, a description of trust is that of taking refuge in the Lord. It's the idea of seeking shelter or protection in God. It's depending on Him and committing oneself into His care. We have, for example, this reference here in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, uh, related to Ruth. And uh, we read there, of course, Boaz is describing Ruth and her faith. Uh, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. There's the idea. You have come to trust in him. Uh, so, so this, uh, and of course, Ruth was a Moabitess. She had come to put her faith in the God of Israel, come to trust in him, uh, to, to put herself under uh, his wings, to take refuge in him is, is the picture here. So in other words, uh, Boaz here was recognizing her faith in this way. Taking refuge in the Lord, again, is an Old Testament statement of faith. And this was David's affirmation here. His refuge, his trust was in the Lord. The word Lord here is the name Yahweh, uh, God's most sacred name, often referred to as God's covenant name. It emphasizes his covenant faithfulness as the God who keeps his promises to his people. Really, Yahweh has the idea of God being unchanging in terms of his character. 
God doesn't change, and therefore he can be counted on to carry through on his word, on his, on his promises. Well, David's affirmation of faith is a response to the voice that is telling him to flee in fear. Now, some think this may have been the voice of a, a well-meaning but misguided friend who is concerned for David, perhaps. Others think uh, David is, re, uh, is really kind of reflecting conflicted voices even within himself in the sense that he feels pressure and temptation to flee, and yet he is resolved to trust in the Lord. Again, the specifics are not given here. It may be the suggestion was for David to flee from the land of Israel, which when David did flee to the land of the Philistines, uh, it was nothing but trouble. Uh, God intended for David to remain in the land, it seems to me, and to trust him there uh, for God to work in his own time. David knew that he was already anointed to be uh, the king of Israel. It was just a matter of when this is going to happen. Uh, so, you know, where does God want David to be? Well, he wants him to rest in him, not flee to a foreign land. Perhaps, again, we're not told. It is noteworthy that David for 10 years, pretty much 10 years, was on the flee as a fugitive from Saul. Now, he was not wrong for evading Saul, uh, which is why I think perhaps a specific situation unnamed here, such as fleeing to another country, may be in view. But again, we're not told the specifics. We do not know uh, what the context was, but we do know that the suggestion at this point to flee was repulsive to David. He says, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? And it's like, what? This is not, I know I that's not the right message. Uh, this advice is born out of fear. Uh, and there are always fear mongers who advocate acting out of fear instead of standing firm in faith. Uh, sometimes these voices are well-intended. This one may have been. Uh, this is a great challenge in life, to not let fear dominate and dictate your actions. Now, there is a place for wisdom. You know, sometimes <laughs> you'd be a fool to rush in there. Uh, maybe it's time to move, get out of the way, whatever. There's a place for wisdom. As I say, David himself uh, did flee for the better part of 10 years, so it seems this was a specialized situation that called for faith and not for fleeing in fear, whatever it was. Now, there are often uh, dangers facing the people of God, and we often need to be reminded, uh, like Paul reminded Timothy, that God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's good to re be reminded of this, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. And here is uh, the concern of the, the fear, the fear warning, if you will. Uh, notice verse 2. For look, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow on the string, <clears throat> excuse me, on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. The enemy here is clearly wicked, and they are intent on killing David. The threat was real, Behind the scenes, they were scheming secretly to take David out. And again, they're clearly said to be wicked, and their target is the upright in heart. This is definitely a scary situation, naturally speaking. Warren Wearsby says, it is good to know the facts, and it is, but it's better to look at those facts in the light of the presence and promises of God. 
Well, there's, there's some irony here. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 12, God is the one who is ready to shoot the wicked. He's making ready to shoot the wicked. And here, in this chapter, the wicked are ready to shoot the righteous. Uh, well, which shooter will prevail, I wonder? Uh, note uh, the, the contrast here. Uh, Psalm seven twelve. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. This is God getting ready to take out the wicked if they don't repent. But now here, in our verse, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow on a string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. A little bit of irony there. Verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Not only is the voice of fear afraid, it feels very helpless. What can the righteous do in this situation? The foundations are the pillars of society related to law and order based on just principles as seen in the word of God. This relates to the, the stable, established values of a civil society. When there is the crumbling of a God-centered society, when lawlessness abounds, and uh, when lawful authority operates in a perverted manner, when the authorities that be have no regard for God's law or his authority, then the foundations are destroyed. What can you do in that situation? Well, in that type of context, there's great danger for the upright in heart. When the very pillars of government are collapsing and the wicked are plotting to take down the righteous, what can they do? Well, humanly speaking, they're very vulnerable. Not, not much. I mean, these are the powers of B. They're all corrupt. Well, humanly speaking, the best you can hope for in that case is to flee for your life and to find a place of safety. That's the counsel to David at this point. At least that's what the voice of fear was saying. Lots of God's people right now are asking the question such as this. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Uh, in our country, uh, we have a long-established pattern of uh, Judeo-Christian principles that regulate a lawful society. But it is now eroding and going by the wayside. John Adams, you know, didn't share our faith. But it's interesting, this comment, he said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Well, that's interesting. If that's true, where are we at today? Uh, America was not founded as a Christian nation, but its underpinnings are really that of Judeo-Christian ethics through and through. So there, there was a Judeo-Christian ethic. Our, our whole system of law, our freedoms, uh, everything kind of ties with that, that mindset. And I think uh, Ronald Reagan was right when he said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Yeah, that's true. We're, we're getting there in a hurry, it seems. We've legalized murder many sectors. You know, it's now all up to the states. Uh, we've legalized sexual perversion. Uh, not much that is biblical is sacred anymore in our society. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The fear monger says, run, flee like a bird, become a prepper. <laughs> Isolate yourself in self-sufficiency out here. Stock up on your guns and ammunition. Not that it's all dumb to buy, have a gun, 
although I don't have one, so I'm calling you if you got one. But anyway, uh, stock up on food and water because you're going to need it. There's nothing else to do. The foundations are destroyed. Run for your life. But really, I think uh, what can the righteous do is probably the wrong question. What can God do? That's the right question. And David answers in that way. His extended response is seen here in verses 4 through 7. Connect verse 1a, in the Lord I put my trust, to now what he says in verses 4 through 7. The answer is this. The Lord, immediately. What can the righteous do? The Lord. Look to the Lord. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. Twice David uses the name Yahweh in this verse. David's reply is that God is still in his holy temple. He's still on his throne. What a great response. The foundations are destroyed. Okay. God is still on the throne. He hasn't moved. That hasn't changed. He's still God. He's still in control. He's still sovereign. His holy temple here probably has heaven in view, corresponding to uh, his throne in heaven. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Yes, uh, and ultimately everybody will be humbled before him. And notice it says here, uh, his eyes behold. The Lord sees what's going on. He knows what's going on. Now, the wicked have lost sight of God, thinking he is unaware of what's happening. But they're so very wrong. God is watching. Might not seem like it, but he is. And in his watching, it says here, his eyelids test the sons of men. He tests the sons of men. God allows things to happen, sometimes terrible things. And he allows it to see how people will respond. He allows tests to come. When the bottom falls out and the very foundations of society are coming apart, you know what this is? It's testing time. It's testing time. Where will we look for our refuge, for our help, when, when we get to that point? I mean, it's pretty easy to feel Mr. Strong Christian when the foundations are firm and we're standing there. Good, good, good. We can get our day in court and everything's going our way. What, what if it's not? Where will we go for refuge? Testing time. Testing time. In Proverbs, this is a great memory verse, by the way, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And then again in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Sometimes God allows all other sources of trust to collapse, to test us, to see if we will find our refuge in him. And I think David felt that way. This is a test. Uh, and, and I have resolved, I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm finding my refuge in God. I'm not going to find it with the Philistines. I'm not going some other place. I'm not fleeing there. 
I'm going to trust God to take care of me here. He's made promises to me. I'm believing God. He's going to carry it through in his time. It's good in those times of testing to remember that God is still on the throne. He hasn't moved. He's not going anywhere. We can trust him. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Sometimes in the darkest times, it, it really stretches your faith and makes you grow in terms of depending on God. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous. Oh, here's who he's testing, the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Yes, indeed, God tests the righteous. He allows these things to happen, to prove them, to refine them. But you know, God always has a good end purpose in view. We know the verse, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. In contrast, the wicked who love violence are hated by the Lord. Kind of strong language, isn't it? But the wicked, the one who loves violence, his soul hates? Mm. God tests the righteous, but he hates the soul of the wicked, uh, the one who loves violence. Mm, that's a strong statement. Uh, it's not an emotional statement. It really, I think it's a judicial statement. Uh, God is aligned against them to bring them down. Uh, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, by the way, Ezekiel 33, 11. I think in love he calls them to repentance, but if they are steeled in their rebellion, he has determined perfect retribution against them. Uh, hates is used in the sense of intense rejection. Uh, when God hates the rebel, it means that he regards them as his enemy who have offended his holiness, and they are worthy of his holy judgment. We have this statement back in Deuteronomy uh, concerning those who reject God. Uh, Deuteronomy 7.10 and he repays those who hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Uh, I think that's the, the idea here. Um, yes, he tests the righteous, but they're not going to experience this. Uh, but is a contrast word. The wicked, uh, they're going to have to deal with God, as it says here. Uh, he's going to repay them to their face. Now, I don't think this applies to anybody here. But if uh, you have said, I'm a God-hater, which depravity goes there. That's what depraved humanity is about. They're God-haters. It's, uh, I just want to say to God-haters that uh, you really have no idea what you're up against. Uh, God will repay you in kind to your face. And just remember, he's a lot bigger than you are. David, in effect, was saying, God is still on the throne, and he sees all that is going on with me. He's testing me, but I'm in his sovereign care. I'm finding my refuge in him. Verse 6, upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. God tests the righteous. But fiery judgment is reserved for the wicked. Isn't that interesting? I mean, God disciplines his children, but his wrath really is reserved for the wicked. Um, we see this again and again in the New Testament. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 
Paul says, what do I have to do with judging those also who are outside, outside the, the faith? But he says, do you not judge those who are inside? Expects the answer, yes, you do. Uh, you hold them accountable. There's an accountability within the family of God. But those outside, no. And he goes on to say, verse 13, those who are outside, God judges. God will deal with them. But then he says, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. You do hold accountable fellow believers if there's sin in their lives. But those that are outside, God judges. And then again in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two. 32, <clears throat> but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So again, chastening versus condemnation. William MacDonald says, although God is infinite in his love, his soul hates men who practice violence. He will rain down a storm of judgment on them. The rain will be coals of fire and brimstone, and the wind will be scorching heat. So fiery judgment is coming to the wicked. It is their lot. As he says here, it will be the portion of their cup. It's just a matter of time if they don't repent. Verse 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. The Lord is righteous. Uh, he is the standard of all that is right. And he loves righteousness. And by implication, uh, his people who are called righteous in verse 5. His countenance beholds the upright. He sees what they're going through. And he cares. Now we should note that most of the newer translations uh, translate the last part of this verse as the upright beholds his countenance. They're looking to God versus God's beholding them. And, of course, both are true. Uh, you really you say, well, this way or this way. I mean, both, both are true, and I think you could prove both from even the psalm itself here. But uh, certainly verse 4 emphasizes God's watching eye. But in turn, God's people are looking to him for refuge which is the emphasis that David began the psalm with in verse 1. To see God's face is to experience his presence and his blessing. And how wonderful that is. We know this blessing. We love this blessing from the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, when the foundations are falling apart, what should the righteous do? Well, David would say and said, I put my trust in the Lord. He's in control. He's on the throne. He's still sovereign. He knows what's going on with me, and he cares. You know, the Bible says you can cast all of your cares upon him. Peter writes this to the suffering saints. Those that were definitely feeling like the powers of be are coming in upon us, casting all your care upon him. He cares for you. These times that God allows are testing times. But never lose sight of the fact that God loves the righteous and that in due time, his fiery judgment is reserved for the wicked. We can rest in God's sovereign care. That's a great place to be. It's a safe place to be. When Nehemiah was intent on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the enemies of God, he had all kinds of issues to deal with, by the way. <laughs> Nehemiah's a great study. 
both internally amongst the people, God's people, outside enemies, internal conflict, all kinds of things. But when he was building the walls of Jerusalem, the enemies of God's people tried to frighten him, tried to frighten him into stopping the work. And they threatened to report to the king of Persia that he was leading a revolt and he was trying to set himself up as a king. You say, well, that wasn't true. And it wasn't true. It was slander. But they were trying to fear, put fear in him and say, we're going to report back to the king of Persia. You better do as we say. You better meet with us. Trying to frighten him. And then, you know, of course, he says, you know, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. But then they threatened to kill him. You know, when people start threatening you with, you know, killing you, that, that gets kind of serious in a hurry. Well, Nehemiah did two things. Number one, in Nehemiah 6, 9, he prayed, Oh, God, strengthen my hands. That's good. That's where you start. You need, we need God to strengthen our hands. Nehemiah looked to God for strength. And then number two, in Nehemiah 6, 11, he said this. It's a great line. Should such a man as I flee? Wow. Isn't that a great statement? Here I am, a man of God, a man of faith. Should I flee? That's completely out of character. Should, I, should such a man as I flee? He had resolved to trust God and then act on conviction, not fear. Well, faith, not fear, is to govern the people of God. I think often of Peter. You know, it's easy to be Peter. I will be strong. I will never deny you. <laughs> Here's Peter's little, little servant girl. Oh, no, 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 You know, it's so easy. We're so human. I think Peter got humbled, learned. I'm not strong within myself. We're not strong within ourselves. That's why I think Nehemiah said, Lord, strengthen me. We need God's help. We look to God for what we need. Faith, not fear, is to govern God's people. And we need God's help to be strong in faith. Well, Psalm 11 reminds us, when the foundations of society all around us are crumbling, God sees. He knows. He's still on the throne. He tests the righteous, and he will one day judge the wicked. I love this statement from Corey Ten Boom. It's a good statement. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. This is where we find our rest. This is where David found his rest. Uh, I will trust in the Lord, as he says at the beginning of the psalm. In the Lord I put my trust. When the foundations crumble and perilous times seem to reign. And you know that's what the Bible predicts for the last days, right? In the last days, perilous times will come. The foundations will be crumbling all around. As more and more uh, the world is being prepped for Antichrist, the lawless one. And we see lawlessness abounding all over the place. What should we do? David said, in the Lord I put my trust. You know, I don't think we can improve on that. In the Lord I put my trust. This is the proper thing to do. Come what may, may our trust be in the Lord. Never forget, he's still on the throne. Doesn't matter what things look like around me. This is where faith comes in. Uh, he's my refuge for time and eternity. I'm in his care. Everything's according to his timing. He's still on the throne, and we can rest there. 
Uh, he's our refuge. Let us end where David began, Psalm 11. In the Lord I put my trust. Will God help us to rest in him as our refuge? Let's stand and have our closing song.